In the name of God, lover, beloved, and love overflowing. Amen. As you listen to the proclamation of this week's gospel, one of its unique characteristics may have stood out to you. It is long, quite long. And while a brisk narrative pace is perhaps more a characteristic of the synoptics than John's gospel, we're used to things proceeding at a decent clip, especially in the healing narratives. The plot we are familiar with proceeds more or less as follows. We'll often find Jesus on his way to or from somewhere with his disciples, and they encounter someone with an illness or a disability. Jesus then heals the individual, there's a bit of theological discourse or conflict about the healing, and the plot moves on to the next scene in Jesus' story. While our lesson this morning initially appears to take this shape and pace that we're accustomed to, we'll discover rather quickly that both the pace and shape of this narrative change under our feet. Our author decides to linger for a bit in this story. And in fact, for quite some time in the narrative, Jesus drops out of the scene entirely as John tightens his focus on the man who had this encounter with Jesus and is radically changed by this encounter. As I worked with this text, I found it was challenging me uh, and inviting me to change the pace that I brought to the text. I wanted it to move more quickly than it was. I wanted the message to be clearer than I was experiencing it to be. But instead, I was invited to sit with the story, to watch this encounter with Jesus play out in this man's life and in the midst of his community. I was going to have to slow down. and I believe that may be an invitation for all of us here today. Now, as we've noted, this story begins familiarly enough. Jesus is on his way somewhere with his disciples, and they see a man. And we're told that this man is one who has been blind from birth. The disciples, bless them, seem prepped for the standard narrative flow here as well. They jump right to theological deliberation. Rabbi, they asked, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born with blindness? Blindness, as their question reveals, was a complicated thing in first-century Jewish thought. While the law of Moses required the protection and care of people who were blind, there were limits to their inclusion in society, particularly in the cultic life. And in the popular consciousness of the time, bad things like blindness happened to people for a reason. And that reason was usually sin either their own or their families. The end result of all of this, of course, is a degree of objectification of the person with blindness in this story. He's disappeared a bit behind all of these questions as a person, and instead he's become more of a canvas for a theological or metaphysical discourse and moralistic musing. And while we might be quick to dismiss the disciples' question as one that represents an antiquated and ableist perspective, 
I think we'll find similar impulses still linger with us today, still linger within us today. Some part of us seems to long to keep the people in our lives, the world around us, and perhaps most importantly, the world within us, organized in categories that are neat, clean, and clear. Categories that help us make sense of it all, that help us feel a sense of control over it all. And such organization of the world is necessary to a degree, both internally and externally. Seeking to understand why things are the way they are is an incredibly important human task. However, from the very beginning, our text seems to warn us against getting too settled in our explanations. It would seem to warn us against thinking we understand how it all works because Getting settled in our own understanding can cause us to miss out on the inbreaking of the divine in our midst. Jesus' initial reply to the disciples can seem a bit problematic as well if we try to use it as a blanket explanation for why bad things happen to people. When his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus replied to them, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Rather, this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, if we try to apply this answer to the questions of theodicy a bit broadly, we'll find it to be overwhelmingly underwhelming. (laughs) But I was helped by a commentator here who pointed out that the grammar would allow for a translation that more clearly um, allows the imperative form to, to come to light here. And such a translation would be, No, neither this man nor his parents sin, but now may the works of God be revealed in him. Jesus then stoops down. He spits. Kneads together dirt and saliva to make clay. Much as John needs together language that recalls the creation stories in, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus places this clay on the man's eyes and sends him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The man obeys, and we're told that he came home seeing. And this is often where the story would end. But in today's reading, the story is just getting started. So, what are the echoes of this healing in the man's life? Is he welcomed into society, his good fortune celebrated by his neighbors and family and religious community? After all, the very thing that was the cause of his exclusion had been removed. Well, no. Instead, his life and everything around him gets thrown into disarray. (laughs) We read, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was, and others said, no, no, he only looks like him. Healing can destabilize us, and it can destabilize the emotional and relational systems that we inhabit. For some reason, we seem to innately resist the idea 
that an encounter with the divine might be real enough to change us or those we live and work with. The man's reply in the midst of all this confusion is both simple and profound. He states, I am the man. And here, he's borrowing the formulation used over and over again by Jesus in this gospel when he identifies with the divine name, I am who I am. His friends and neighbors with their own world in disarray ask for the religious leaders to weigh in on the matter, and we see the same dynamics play out there. The leaders interrogate the man multiple times. They call his family in for questioning and do their best to force this man to fit into their understanding of how the world works. But throughout it all, the man bears simple, clear, and at times very witty witness to his encounter with Jesus. The religious leaders, much like his neighbors and family, ultimately refuse to make their hearts and minds vulnerable to the shock that this healing wants to offer to their hearts and system. And they cast the man out. Isn't this so often what we do? Before we think about this in the framework of the systems in which we live and work, let's first reflect on our own impulses toward ourselves. So often, after our hearts have been touched by an encounter with God, and we begin to shift in small ways in our way of being with ourselves and being with others, perhaps living with a bit more agency, perhaps taking steps into newfound freedom, perhaps just a bit more ease with who we are. But when we begin to do this, when we begin to step in to the reality of our healing, our internal systems begin to rage and deny this work of God. And sometimes the systems around us do as well. The ending of this story is not what we might have expected and certainly not what we would have hoped for, for this man. By virtue of this healing, the very thing that supposedly kept him separate from full inclusion in the life of his community, that thing had been removed. I think we were right to have hoped that those around him would finally adjust and celebrate that, and perhaps some of them did. We just don't get to hear about that in our lesson today. But at first, he was even further rejected and utterly cast out of the community. And that can sometimes be the cost of healing, the cost of true encounter with the divine. But we're also told that when Jesus hears that the man had been cast out of his community, he seeks him out, reveals himself more fully to him, and invites the man into deeper, more abiding relationship with himself. The cost of discipleship, the cost of healing, the cost of growth in your own God-given agency can be great. But I hope that our gospel lesson today can encourage us all that that healing is worth that risk. So may we be given eyes 
to see the places in our own hearts that God is healing, recreating, restoring. And may God give us the humility we need to watch, ponder, and listen as those around us share their stories of healing, even when those stories destabilize us and shake the ways we see the world. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. May God grant us the humility we need to confess our blindness so that we can be surprised by the inbreaking of the divine in our lives and in our world. Amen.